That second song we sang is called Hallelujah for the Cross. And on Ross's behalf, I'm going to have to insist that we call it Hallelujah for the Cross too. Whenever we do it. All right. Luke 24. I'm just going to read to you a little excerpt from a really powerful passage. But for the sake of time, to get the whole passage in, it takes a few minutes to read. And I, um, for the sake of time, I'm going to abbreviate it. But this is after the resurrection of Jesus and two of Jesus' disciples are walking along the road, talking about everything that has happened. This is after uh, they've discovered that the body of Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And someone comes up and starts walking next to them. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus, but they don't know it. They don't recognize him for whatever reason. And as they talk, he asks them, hey, what's up? Uh, which I love. Uh, it's great. It's like a scene from a book or a scene from a movie. Um, and so they start telling him all the things that have transpired. They clearly don't understand everything that's happened. And then he says, Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things, then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. And they appreciated this and they invited him to come home with them. And he did. And then a couple of verses later, it tells us that then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. As we draw near to the end of this series where we're talking about what we as followers of Jesus, we as Christians believe, I want to talk tonight about this question. What is it that we believe about the Bible? Years ago when our, our kids were really little, I think we had all three at this point um, already, I think this was in the era that Juliet lived with us, uh, there was a day when, uh, there were many days such as this, but there was one particular day when I came across like two or three-year-old Ella with chocolate all over her face, um, and she had not been given permission to eat chocolate, and so I asked her about it, and she immediately ratted out her older brother and said, Aiden was eating candy, and he said I could too. Um, and so we had a little talk about who gets to decide when you can and can eat candy. And I told her, the only people who can give you permission to eat candy, the only people who can tell you when you can and can't eat candy, are me and mommy. Uh, and so we moved on. About a week or two later, I was working on something outside, and Aiden came out like a good uh, hall monitor firstborn and said, Ella's about to start eating candy. And I was, I, don't, I was working on the car or something. I was tied up and couldn't go back in and deal with it. And I just said, go in and tell her that I said she does not need to eat. She cannot eat any candy. So went on, came inside a little while later, chocolate all over her face, candy wrappers all over the floor. And I said, I told you that you were not supposed to have candy. And I sent Aiden in to tell you that. And she said, guess what? You told me only you or mommy could tell me when or when I could or couldn't eat candy, not Aiden. Um, that's a little bit like, I think, uh, this question that some of us deal with when it comes to the Bible, this conversation about does this book, does this messenger, we call it a, a sort of messenger, does it reliably tell us about God and does it speak to us with his authority? Does it instruct us? 
Does it correct us? Does it guide us with the authority of God? What's, how do we distinguish between God himself and the scriptures? And how do we look at the nature of the scriptures and the authority of the scriptures? Um, and we obviously believe, there's no big suspense here, that the scriptures do speak with authority and they do speak reliably for God. So today, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what we believe about the, the scriptures and I want to talk about how we kind of, we, we view them as a lot of different things. If we were to really get into it, we view them as a sort of constitution. We view them as sort of a family history. We view them as sort of the poetry of our family or our culture and we view them as a real declaration of hope for this ongoing community of God through the centuries. So I wanna talk about some specific things that we believe about the scriptures. Two things I'm not gonna to try to do today. So if you walk away going, I didn't get this, I'm telling you right now, you're not gonna get this, but this is available and I can help you find this if this is something that you're looking for or you struggle with. Number one, I'm not gonna do a deep apologetic for the sort of validity of the Bible. Can we really trust the Bible from a historical sense? All those kinds of things. Lots of good resources available on that. That's not my primary purpose today. And number two, I'm not giving you a full doctrine of the Bible. If you go to our doctrinal statement or any number of doctrinal statements, you'll see a list of different things that people or churches or groups believe about the Bible. I'm not trying to cover all of those today. I wanna to focus in on a few key beliefs about the Bible that I think are important and relevant for your life individually and for our growth as Jesus' church, okay? So uh, three specific things I wanna talk about um, and then a couple of ways that I think those three things matter, all right? The first thing I want to be sure that uh, is clear in terms of how we operate as a church and as followers of Jesus is we believe that the Bible is not just a book written by humans, that it is inspired by God. And um, this, this, is, this kind of addresses a completely reasonable question that a lot of people have. Even a lot of people who have been Christians for a long time have this question of where the Bible came from. And like I said, I'm not gonna do a real in-depth history of that, but I think we can understand some basic things and then if you wanna pursue that later, you can. Paul speaks to this in 2 Timothy and and when I say I'm not gonna do a real in-depth apologetic, I know that using the Bible to talk about the validity of the Bible alone is not enough for some people. But I do want us to understand how the scriptures were understood in, by Jesus and by the early church. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture is God-breathed and it's inspired voice we hear. And then he lists some things that I'll, we'll, we'll get to in just a minute. But this is... The, uh, this is Paul declaring from early on, and we see this in other places, we see that Jesus believes this about the scriptures that they had at that time, but that there was a fundamental belief in the church that the scriptures came, were inspired by, were breathed out, Paul says, by God. And so the simplest answer to this question of where do the, spirit, the, the scriptures come from is that we believe that the spirit of God guided the authors of the various books of the Bible in different and unique ways. They're different kinds of literature. They're different kinds of writing. And they came about in different ways, but they were all uh, inspired by God. God inspired them to produce the words and the books that he intended for us to have doesn't always mean that he dictated word to word to somebody and they just transcribed what he said that came about in different ways. 
Stanley Grins, who was a theologian who did a lot of work on theology as it relates to the church, said this, and I think I'm going to read you two short paragraphs from him tonight because I think it helps sort of sum up what we're talking about. But he says, by direct command, a sense of urgency, or simply a personal desire or compulsion, God's Spirit moved spiritual persons within the faith community to write or compile from, and here's different ways it happened, from dictation, from experience, from tradition, or wisdom, those documents which reflect what God desired to have recorded in order that his purposes might be served. That's how God inspired and produced for us the scriptures that we have. Now, at some point down the road, after all these books were written, we had the process called canonization. We had decisions made. There were councils. There were all sorts of debates about what books are and are not included in the Bible. But but that process, those decisions about what books are in the Bible was built on this idea that these books were inspired. And part of how, this is, I think, even if you don't get real deep in it, I think it's helpful to understand how the books that are in your Bible got there. Part of how those decisions were made were based on experience, that uh, these books were canonized and given that place because time, they'd been around for a while and the church had been using them and time had affirmed that they had a formative role in the community of God's people, that God's spirit was working through them because God's spirit had inspired them in the church and and the spirit had continually used them to reveal God and to shape his people. And that was part of how they determined and confirmed that these books were inspired. If you want more on that, like I said, there's more reading to be done. But we have a fundamental belief that the, script, the scriptures as we have them were inspired by God, that we have the books that he wants us to have, okay? Second thing I want us to understand about the Bible is that the Bible's authority is God's authority. Um, we believe that the scripture's authority is not its own, that, uh, that we don't worship the Bible and though we may use this phrasing at times, and I'm not, I'm not somebody who, uh, I used to be really nitpicky, and I'm not, I'm not even going to talk about this really tonight, but about how we use phrases like the Word of God, um, or how we talked about the Bible, that we gave great care to not assign to the Bible sort of a place in the Trinity, um, because it's not that. It, it, it is a lot of things, but we don't worship the Bible, and though we may have said this at times, we're not obeying the Bible. We worship and obey God who gave us the Bible as he saw fit so it carries his authority. And this is what Paul's affirming in that verse I started to, those verses I started to read to you a minute ago. He says, all of scripture is God breathed in its inspired voice. We hear, and here's what we hear, useful teaching, rebuke, correction, instruction, and training for a life that is right so that God's people may be up to the task and have all they need to accomplish every good work. Because God breathed out the scriptures, because it was inspired by him, because it came from him, the scriptures have his authority and they have the authority to rebuke us, to correct us, to instruct us, to train us. Here's the second theologian paragraph I have for you tonight. Grins goes on from what I read you a minute ago to say this. Scripture is authoritative in that it is the vehicle through which the Spirit chooses to speak. Uh, 
and declaring the trustworthiness of the Bible, therefore, we must keep in mind that it is ultimately not the book itself which we are affirming. Rather, we are confessing our faith in the Spirit who speaks his revelatory message to us through the pages of Scripture. There are, I think, two important implications in this little point and this understanding of the authority of the Scriptures for us here. Number one, the Bible has real authority. There's nothing about what I'm saying here that weakens the authority of the Bible. If anything, it it gives us a stronger sense of what that authority is because we're saying it is God's authority that, that gives the Bible authority. It has real authority, and it's the Lord's authority. It's not just a human book. It's God's self-revelation in writing, and it carries his authority with it. But also, the second thing that's true here is that the Bible itself is, is not God. And it's important that we encounter and experience Scripture the way that it reveals itself. That's one of the real struggles when we start giving the Scripture that sort of deified place is that's not even how the Scripture speaks about itself. And so we want to be consistent with how the Scripture speaks and reveals itself. It has a unique role within the larger authority of God and uh, it's not replacing that authority. This is why it matters. Because the Bible is not a written authority as though God is now absent from us except through the Bible. And that's why we, it's imp- one of the many reasons it's important to understand that it's God's authority that's behind the Scripture and not the Scripture's own authority. Because we don't want to make the mistake of believing the Bible is all we have, that God is otherwise absent from us. So instead of just being a book of true information about God, we, we find that the Bible is active today. And it is active because God is active. And it's active in the Spirit's work in the world. It's active in people's salvation. It's active in all of these things which Paul listed in our teaching, in our correction, in our being shaped, in our understanding the life that we're made to live. It's active as God brings about new creation through his church. The scriptures are alive and breathing because they carry God's authority with them and because God is continuing to work and God is continuing to speak. And it's active also in us knowing God and making him known. And part of that is seeing in the scriptures not just a record that once upon a time God acted and God spoke. It's not just a historical revelation that came at once when God was revealing things. It's a means by which God is still acting by which God is still speaking. And it's a reminder that this God that we're talking about, this God that gives his authority through, to the scriptures, is a God who speaks, is a God who acts, is a God who is engaged with us, not just a God who once upon a time spoke or once upon a time acted. And that's part of why and how the Bible has authority today, by showing us this active, involved, engaged God. So we embrace the Bible as the authoritative revelation of this God who is still present, who is still active, who is still speaking among his people, and who is acting and speaking consistent with the way that he acts and speaks in Scripture, because Scripture is an accurate revelation of who he is with his authority behind it. Third thing that I want us to see and know about the scripture today is that the whole Bible points 
to Jesus in the gospel. I preached back in July. Um, this is the second time in six months I've preached about the Bible. It's also the second time in six months that I've showed up to church to preach about the Bible without my Bible and had to call my wife um, and have her bring it to me. But I preached in July about uh, the Bible as part of our series on spiritual disciplines, and that sermon was different than this sermon. What I did that day was uh, I started with Moses, and we looked at these stories of God providing for his people when they're in thin places, when they were in the wilderness, to walk through that big narrative of God's nature and God's presence with his people over the centuries. And the goal of that, as we talked about spiritual disciplines, was to give us a glimpse of the ways that the Bible, the whole Bible, not just the parts that we particularly like or we spend a lot of time on, tells our story, tells God's story in ways that really matter for us now. And the biggest part of that, the biggest part of understanding the sort of purpose and the nature of the whole Bible is that we read the Bible as the story of God and his people from the start, but climaxing in the death and the life and the resurrection of Jesus. It points toward this, this pinnacle moment in God's history with people. And it points us ahead as people living now. It points us toward that ultimate self-revelation that will come in the return of Jesus and the new creation being revealed. And so the Bible, Old Testament and new, is not this mishmash of essential and non-essential stuff. Some of it's relevant to us and some of it's not relevant to us. The whole thing is part of God revealing himself. And the whole thing is the story of God moving toward the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what's happening in this passage in Luke that we opened with tonight. That's why Jesus, in the, in the moments after his resurrection, when people are trying to put it all together and figure out what in the world is going on, people who have given their whole lives, who've walked away from everything to follow Jesus, all of a sudden, not only is he dead, but he's dead and now his grave is empty and we don't know what the heck's going on. And so when Jesus steps into that moment with these two followers of his walking down the road, he is showing us this is what the scriptures are. They are the big picture that builds toward and prepares us for that moment. And that's why he says, beginning with Moses, why it tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. And then their response later is, were not our hearts burning within us while he was opening the scriptures to us. The whole thing points toward Jesus. And, and if you struggle with the relevance of the Old Testament, you shouldn't have to go much further than this passage right now because that was the scriptures as Jesus is talking about them here. There was no New Testament. The New Testament was live. They were live streaming the New Testament at this point. So when Jesus says, this is what all of the scriptures has been building toward, and they said, weren't our hearts burning when he was explaining to us how all of the scriptures point to this moment. They're talking about the Old Testament. The whole Bible matters, and it all points us toward this moment. And so we should be taking our cue from Jesus that the church should always be viewing the scriptures, the entire word of God, through Jesus himself. 
that he is the lens through which we read the scriptures. And that's just a little, a little bit of sort of application of why I think this is really important for us personally as we grow in our faith, but also for the, the church as we tell the world the truth about God and as we show and speak the gospel to the world. I think it really matters that we understand that the gospel is the point and that Jesus is the point because in much of uh, the, the sort of mainstream of Christianity that we all grew up in, that we all live in, instead of living that sort of holistic way of reading the Bible as God's story culminating in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we, we, we piecemeal it. We take the parts of scripture that seem most relevant to us. And, and, and often it starts really well-intentioned. We're just looking for an answer to whatever problem we have or, we're, or, or, or something like that. But we, we treat it like a choose-your-own-adventure book or we, whatever. We, we take segments out and we forget the big picture of asking, always asking the question, is what I'm doing with the scripture pointing me and other people toward Jesus and the gospel? Or is there some other agenda or is there some other confusion that plays out if that's not central? Um, and we'll still insist that Jesus is the main thing, but, but we pick out parts of the scriptures um, to fit other agendas that may not have anything at all to do with Jesus or the gospel. You've seen this happen. You may have done it. I have absolutely done it. We selectively pull things out of context to make our point, sometimes by accident, sometimes on purpose. Never mind that those things can easily make it seem like the point of the Bible or like God's purposes and the things that God cares about are different than what the actual point of the Bible is or what things God actually cares about. And when we do that, we've given ourselves the, and the world the impression that perhaps the most important thing about the Bible or the most important thing to God is fill in the blank what you believe about the technicalities of Genesis and the creation. We have all of these different things that we've honed in on or segmented out of the scriptures, forgetting the big picture, and then we convince ourselves or other people that this is, this is the most important thing. We've selectively advanced our personal preferences this way, and we selectively advance political agendas. And this is a huge part of the confusion that we're all living under in the United States right now. I don't care what side you're on. I don't care how you voted. There is immense confusion over the use of the scriptures in the public sphere. Just in the last two days, there's some religious leader who likes to be on TV who told us that we need a border wall because heaven itself has walls. Now listen, don't get nervous. I'm not about to get really political here. I'm not gonna tell you what you should believe about border security, but you shouldn't want a wall through the gorgeous Texas wilderness. That's as political as I'll get. I think you should have to go stay in Big Bend for a week and then uh, can convince me that there should be a wall there. But, uh, but the point that I'm trying to make, um, <laughs> you shouldn't believe that that's necessary because heaven has a wall around it. Just, this is just a quick aside as an example of ways that we get off track. Because number one, I love Texas a lot, but Texas ain't heaven. So that's a, that's a weird comparison. <laughs> number two, and the United States isn't either, if, for the record. Uh, but number two, the revelation 
the wall that's being referred to here that Revelation describes is around the city, New Jerusalem, and it has 12 gates that are never closed, and inside the city, the spirit and the bride say, come, whosoever will, come, whoever is thirsty, come. It's a really bad example. It does say that there are people who won't be allowed through the gates, including uh, people who love and practice falsehood. Let me say again, I'm not telling you what to believe politically. I'm telling you that the Bible doesn't exist for us to cherry pick verses or images or stories that suit our political preferences or our personal preferences and then go on TV and declare that God is in favor of our positions. And I don't, I'm not just looking for a political agenda here. I truly am not interested in telling you what to believe about a policy point, but I think this is a big deal because it creates such magnificent distraction from what the scriptures actually say and what they're actually doing and what they're actually pointing to. And it's not just an annoyance. When we do that with the scriptures, when we grab them to suit our own personal preferences or agendas, instead of letting the scriptures point to Jesus and the gospel, we undermine the scripture's power and authority in the eyes of the onlooking world. And that's a big deal. That's a misrepresentation of who God is and what he's about. N.T. Wright deals with that this way when he says, once you can make scripture stand on its hind legs and dance a jig, it becomes a tame pet rather than a roaring lion. It is no longer authoritative in any strict sense. That is, it may be cited as though proof of some point or or other, but it is not leading the way, energizing the church with the fresh breath of God himself. This is the purpose of the scriptures and we ought to always remember it. And we ought to never, ever use them for personal gain or power. They are God revealing himself as he is to us and pointing to Jesus in the gospel. So whatever we assert and wherever we make our various stands, we have to continually point to Jesus and his death and his life and his resurrection and the implications of all of that for the coming new creation as the point of the scriptures. And we need to remember that for ourselves. The scriptures aren't there just to boss you around. They are there to point you to Jesus again and again because you can't be bossed around in a way that it's enough. They are to take you back into the story and take you back to Jesus. So I want to wrap this up by dealing with this statement and and just punctuate it with a couple of things. If the Bible is inspired by God to speak with his authority, pointing us to Jesus and the gospel, then I think a couple of things are true for us. The first is this, the Bible reliably reveals God's truth. Live like it. We are absolutely inundated, I think, in this time with competing truths. And I I try to be careful not to say, this is the hardest time ever to raise kids or do other things, because I haven't lived in any other times. I've only lived the last 43 years. But I I do think, I'm hard-pressed to be convinced otherwise, uh, that it's harder than it's probably ever been to uh, deal with what's truth and what's not truth just because of the sheer volume of competing truths coming at us all the time. 
We are absolutely inundated with different versions of truth, with different truths. It's the, they are crossing our field of vision and hearing every single day. And for our kids, for our students, I think it's an enormous challenge to, to sift through it all that, that I didn't face, that most of us who are older didn't face. Just that volume. But it's affecting us too now. We're living it now too. And the volume of all those truths means that we're not even always aware that our sense of what's true is being shaped by these things. I mean, it, it used to be we had a lot of these overt debates, about philosophical debates or theological debates about what's true, how can we know what is true? And a lot of what's happening now is those debates are just being bypassed and it's just constant messaging of different truths and different ways of, of how you should perceive and understand truth. And so every show we watch and every social media account we follow and even every video game we play, we pulled out the old like original Nintendo system uh, Aiden and I did right before Christmas and got it to sort of work with a lot of like blowing on the cartridges and licking the cartridges and things like that. Uh, some of you have no idea, but... He was there, he saw it, and we got to play a quarter of Tecmo Bowl, um, and I slaughtered him in Tecmo Bowl. There's no, there was no truth in Tecmo Bowl. The video games that are being, I'm not, this is not an old man harping on your video games. It's just different. There's a whole story. There's a whole world. I'm reading news stories about characters in video games. Everything that we're consuming is pushing on us some kind of truth. And all of those inputs are forming us. And the world is complicated. And the Bible is not often the most popular source of truth in response to the complications of the world. But whether or not it's popular, we believe that the Bible was breathed out by God, that it was given to us as a gift, and that it has his authority to define what is true and what is not true. And so it is the solid ground for us in filtering all of these messages, in deciding what is true and what's not true. In John 6, Jesus has said some really difficult things and unpopular things about reality and what's true and what's happening. And uh, he says... His, to his followers this, it's the spirit that gives life, the flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then this is what happens in light, in part of the hard things he's already said. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the 12, do you wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The Bible reveals the words of real life to us. And even when it's hard, even when there are maybe more palatable versions of truth available to us, I think Jesus is looking at us and saying, my truth or that truth, and looking for hearts that say, where else are we going to go? This is real life. And that's the challenge for us, to build our lives that way, on truth and that way. And sometimes the words are hard, but they lead to life. And, and just for the record, the Bible has, a bad, has gotten a bad rap 
on some of the ways that it speaks to difficult issues in our day. And as I mentioned, it regularly gets hijacked and co-opted by people with agendas. So you shouldn't be assuming what the Bible has to say about truth. You should be going and finding out. And you should be engaging with the scriptures with the church. There are many hard things that we have to figure out together about truth. And there's no reason that we have to do that on islands. Together, we can dig in and find out what the scriptures have to say. And we can ask the hard questions. Have we jumped to wrong conclusions about what's true and what's not true? And we can wrestle through that together. And we can move on issues If it's clear to us that we have gotten it wrong, that we have gotten the scriptures wrong on issues, but the scriptures have to drive the bus. And together, we are called to engage them and let them be the source of our truth. And that, the need to do that, the need to wrestle through the hard things about truth is is a lot of the reason for my last point, which is you should be actively interacting with the Bible. The numbers, if I gave you research and I dug it up and just decided not to include it because the numbers on how many church-going Christians are regularly engaging with the scriptures are not that exciting. Um, And if I can just be very frank, as I have conversations among us over the years, I'm not sure that we're dramatically different from what those numbers tell us. Though I will say that I've been encouraged with what I have sensed over the last year or so is a new hunger and pursuit of spiritual disciplines among us, including uh, studying and reading the scriptures. But here's the deal. Um, This is just true. I, I would not stop right now and ask everyone to raise their hands if they've sat down and spent time with the Bible twice in the last month on their own. And it probably shouldn't be that hard <laughs> for, for me to have the guts to do that without worrying about how many of us are going to be shamed. And listen, I'm, I'm no hero on this. It's my job, right? So I kind of have a cheat route on this. I, I have to interact with the scriptures on a weekly basis, but it, it would be a struggle for me. And when I'm not teaching, it can be a struggle for me. So I'm not condemning anyone. This is, none of this is about shaming. Shame is a terrible motivator. I just want to say to you, to us, that the words of life are here. And we've been given two tremendous gifts. Number one, that God decided to give us this written down. That he inspired the scriptures and gave us the words of life in writing. And we have them at our fingertips available to us. And the second gift is that they are so available to us. This is an anomaly in world history that we have Bibles stacked all around us, that we have such easy access to the scriptures. It is an anomaly in history and it's not that way all over the world right now. We have been given a gift that we live in a time and place where we have such access to the scriptures and where we have access to the education and the capacity to read and understand the scriptures. That's a gift that we have been given. So why are we going to all of the other places and so seldom going to this one? Again, this is not about guilt and it doesn't mean, I'm not saying you you need to know all the scriptures by next week, (laughs) that you need to understand it all at once. I'm definitely not saying that you need to have all the answers. You can't, you won't. 
But my appeal here is as we grapple with what truth is and as we try to reorient our lives around God's design for our lives, my appeal is simply this. Remember who we believe created us, who created everything. Remember who the source of life and truth is and be purposeful. You don't have to have all the answers, but you will only encounter God in the scriptures if you are purposeful, if you are intentional about turning to the one who has the words of life and to the words of life that he's given us. Let's pray.